The local share market falls to a one-year low. Medibank to trial a four-day work week and women who have one child earn $2 million less than their male counterparts over their working lifetime. Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It's Tuesday, the 24th of October, 2023. I'm Adam Lang and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Morning, Adam. Immediately after the show, stay listening for Sean's chat with Paul Garner. He's the co-founder and COO of Australian cloud security platform, Plerion. Yes, we had a great chat to Paul all about when you're a business and you're putting stuff into the cloud, you really need to make sure that it's secure. And that's Paul's business, Plerion, who's a great supporter of our podcast. And so we talked to him about what businesses should be worried about, what they should do, the types of attacks that we're seeing a lot of, that type of thing. It's a great chat. How to protect ourselves from cloud vulnerabilities. Yes, that's exactly right. Excellent. So the main story this morning, Sean, the ASX fell close to 1% yesterday to hit its lowest level in a year, with fears about the conflict in the Middle East still hurting markets. The benchmark S&P ASX 200 lost 57 points or 0.9% to finish at 6,844 points, extending last week's losses. In fact, it's down about, well, it's down more than 3% since last Wednesday. Seven out of the 11 sectors yesterday were in the red, with materials and energy leading the losses. It was a bad day all around. The major banks lost ground, though Macquarie was higher. Woolies, CSL, Transurban and Coles, all defensive stocks were among the best performers. The ASX is now trading around the levels of November last year. In actual fact, it's trading around the levels of November 2007. That's a bit of an unfair comparison because, you know, I've ignored dividends. (laughs) And if you look at certain periods over 10 years and 20 years, it's actually done pretty well. But still, just the fact that the market hasn't really done that much over that long period is somewhat of a concern. And there really isn't much positive sentiment around, Adam. We're in exceptional territory, Sean. So coal and energy stocks really took a beating amongst all of that. South 32 flagged a 33% drop in coal production this quarter, and its share price fell nearly 3%. I suppose at least South 32 had a reason to fall. New Hope went ex-dividend. It had a reason to. It went ex-dividend. It was down more than 8%. It was the worst of the top 200. But even taking that one out, it was just a miserable day for miners. The one exception was Whitehaven. It finished higher yesterday and investors have been buying up ever since the coal group was announced as preferred bidder for BHP's Queensland coal portfolio. Energy stocks did poorly yesterday. Woodside was off 3.2%. Santos 2.5%. Beach Energy tumbled 4%. I mean, it was just widespread. Lithium stock, Pilbara Minerals, mining services company, Mineral Resources, Bauxite and Illumina Group, Illumina Limited, and Nickel, Copper and Basalt Play, IGO, were all among the worst performers yesterday. BHP, Fortescue Metals, Rio, all down 2.5%. Oh, Adam, just a shocker. The market had a tough day at the office, and amongst that, was there much corporate news around? Uh, always plenty of corporate news. Now, later in the show, I'll tell you about Treasury Wines, post the announcement that China will drop tariffs on Aussie wine eventually. Ahead of that, though, one company to rally yesterday was Australia's second largest funeral director, Propel Funeral. In a statement, it said it had rejected multiple buyout offers because they were too cheap. Hmm. Biotech company Immutep's share price jumped 20% after it published positive clinical trials for its lung cancer treatment. Judo said it's seeking capital. Its share price fell more than 5%. Viva Energy's group's share price fell after it said retail petrol margins are being squeezed. 
and Wee Bit Nano. How's that for a name? Eh? Wee Bit Nano. <laughs> I like it. In fact, it's got to be close to my favourite <laughs> named company on the 200. So it's a semiconductor company. It's headquartered in Israel. Now, not surprisingly, the market's been uh, a little concerned about the company, uh, notwithstanding that Weebit has pretty much come out and said it's business as usual. Anyway, it seems sentiment is back with the group. Its share price now is well above its October 7 level. That's when Hamas attacked Israel. It jumped another 15% yesterday and in the past three weeks is up 50%. Quite a ride. In bond markets, Australia's 10-year bond yield climbed to 4.81%, matching Friday's level and the highest since 2011. That too, of course, is weighing on equity markets. And Sean, what's happening in international markets? Well, oil prices have come off a bit on the back of the diplomatic efforts to contain the conflict between Israel and Hamas. More of that later. Aid convoys started to arrive in the Gaza Strip from Egypt over the weekend as Arab leaders and foreign ministers gathered for a summit in Cairo. Unfortunately, the leaders couldn't agree on a final joint statement. Still, that did calm markets somewhat. Gold prices remain elevated, trading not much below $2,000 an ounce. The precious metal is trading around five-month highs off the back of gold being a safe asset to hold in uncertain times. The Aussie dollar remains under pressure, trading just above 63 US cents, essentially it's the interest rate differential between the US and Australia and the weakness in China that's really keeping pressure on our currency. And Adam, Bitcoin's back above 30,000 US dollars a unit, bounced around a bit in recent weeks. We've spoken about that, but it's now double the level of January 1 this year. There you go. Sean, who would have thought Bitcoin would have been a safe haven in this market? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Too far? Maybe. Well, maybe if you're a cryptocurrency investor, mm. Bitcoin is a safe haven. Maybe if you're not the general investor, but for the crypto guys out there, Bitcoin is safe. Right. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Medibank, Australia's largest health insurer, will try a four-day working week with no loss of pay. And if it continues, it will be one of the biggest changes to the working week in more than a century. You'd love this one. I mean, this is one of your hobby horses, Adam. <laughs> Well, working flexibility, look, I'm not in favour of a four-day week for me. That's not the way I want my life to go. But for those that do, I'd love to have the flexibility to consider that option. Hmm. Well, Maddie Banks working with Macquarie University to complete a study of 250 employees, including those working part-time and in customer-facing roles. It's part of the 180-100 model pushed by international organisation Four Day Week Global, whereby workers cut their hours by 20% but maintain productivity and pay levels. Other local companies, including Telstra NIB, that's the health insurer, and Grant Thornton, are considering some form of 180-100. According to media reports, broadly the five days a week, eight hours a day concept has been around since the 1860s without too many major changes. I mean, more work on weekends, flexible hours, work from home, etc. But actual days and hours work hasn't changed that much in 160 years. So this is quite a big leap forward or backwards, depending on your viewpoint. Well, Sean, I'll be very interested in watching this trial. I know you will. You watch it closer than most of us. <laughs> Sean, if money talks, no one is louder in Australia than the superannuation funds. They own about 38% of the value of the total ASX. That's $874 billion worth of shares. The retirement funds, as we kick into the full AGM season, are really starting to throw their weight around. 
Yes, the super funds are focusing on decent working conditions, secure contracts and sexual harassment, and they won't be voting for board motions if they're not happy. Climate change has pretty much been the number one issue triggering engagement in recent years from the super sector, but the Australian Financial Review Super Fund CEO survey shows funds' active engagement strategies are increasingly focused on workplace conditions. Now, the CEOs were all from industry super funds, meaning they're partly owned by or closely linked to trade unions. Therefore, it's probably not a surprise that workplace issues are high on the agenda. Super, Hester, Rest Super, and Unisuper all nominated workplace issues as key areas of engagement. Aware Super has held more than 200 meetings this year, and a key discussion point has been workplace concerns. Other key areas of engagement include climate change and gender diversity. Sean, there was an extraordinary article in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age yesterday that said secret tapes reveal Australian billionaire Anthony Pratt's incredible dealings with Donald Trump, including the alleged disclosure of non-public details about US military action in Iraq and a private conversation with Iraq's leader. Yeah, this is an amazing story, and I really do recommend that people go to the Herald, The Age, to have a look at it. Anthony Pratt owns Vizzy, the cardboard box company. He's Australia's, I think, his third richest nowadays, behind Gina Reinhart and Andrew Forrest. The revelations also talk about a $1 million payment promised to Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and financial dealings with then Prince Charles in a hope he would become king. The tapes, along with internal documents from Pratt's company, Vizzy, and briefings from over a dozen sources in the US and Australia, reveal how Pratt uses money to gain access to power. Pratt gained access to Trump by spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on membership and event fees at the ex-president's private Florida club, Mar-a-Lago. Pratt has also privately claimed on covert recordings that he had donated $1 million to the Voice Referendum's Yes campaign because he had fielded a request to do so from a senior advisor to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. He also apparently paid former Prime Ministers Tony Abbott and Paul Keating. Tony Abbott got about $8,000 a month. Paul Keating got $25,000 a month. Not sure what that says about Tony Abbott. And I've got to say, I love this quote, allegedly on the tapes, and I'm quoting apparently what Anthony Pratt said, my superpower is that I am rich, so I'm useful to him, right? Him being Prince Charles. Hmm. Incredible story. In this case, superpower or kryptonite, Sean, which is it? Nice, nice. Probably superpower. (laughs) Probably still wins. (laughs) Women who have at least one child earn $2 million less over their lifetime than male counterparts, and that's according to a report released in Canberra yesterday. Sean, that is devastating. Yeah, huge. The task force that released the report, chaired by businesswoman Sam Mostyn, calls for urgent legislative changes to end economic inequality between men and women. The problem is costing the economy about $128 billion a year. The report found women's earnings are reduced by an average of 55% across the initial five years of parenting, a first child, while men's earnings remain unaffected. The Women's Economic Equality Task Force said economic losses are largely due to persistent and pervasive barriers to full and equal workforce participation for women. The report recommends doubling government-funded paid parental leave to 52 weeks and encouraging men to use the system. The task force called for legislation to guarantee pension payments on all forms of paid parental leave. Sean, Treasury Wine's share price rallied yesterday by more than 4%, and that was on a bad day for the market, as you spoke about, and that's on the news that Aussie red and white wines will be allowed back into China without those restrictive tariffs. 
It'll take about five months to get there, but the deal between Beijing and Canberra announced over the weekend should bolster Treasury, which of course is the home of Penfolds. Treasury said it will focus on Penfolds' French, US and Chinese portfolios. The tariffs were introduced in late 2020 and resulted in about one third of Treasury's profits disappearing. One of the silver linings on the tariff issue, though, has been local exporters being forced to find new markets or become more efficient. Now, China's back in the mix, or maybe they're back in the harvest, Adam. Things are looking up for vignerons. Treasury share price, after jumping 4%, it closed up 1.5%. Sean, unplanned coal power plant outages, the impact of natural disasters on transmission lines, and the deployment of rooftop solar have made Australia the world's most volatile power market. That's according to Rystad Energy. Yeah, Rystad's one of the world leaders in energy research. It's very influential. And in a report released yesterday, it said price spreads, the difference between highs and lows, on the national electricity market were the highest among 39 markets studied globally. As Australia shifts from ageing coal plants to solar and wind power, the nation's energy sector has come under pressure. We know that. It's kind of a key factor why Australia's main power market failed last year. The thing is, these fluctuations are enormous, much bigger than most other countries. To handle the fluctuations, about 46 gigawatt hours of new pumped hydro and utility scale batteries are required by 2050 from just 2.8 gigawatt hours currently. That is a lot of power and clearly we need a lot of investment according to Rystat. And Sean Guzman y Gomez, the Mexican fast food chain, is hoping to list on the ASX, but according to media reports, the current owners want too much money for it. Guzman y Gomez has been wanting to list for a while. The Financial Review has been writing about it for months, it seems. Yesterday, the Fin said what the owners want, maybe around $1.5 billion for the chain, is way out of whack with comparable listed businesses in Australia, such as Domino's and Collins Foods, which owns KFC and Taco Bell here. The owners of Guzman y Gomez include co-founder Stephen Marks, as well as Aware Super, Baron Joey and others. Sean, moving back to international news, Israel appears to support diplomatic efforts to get Hamas to release hostages from Gaza quickly, which may delay any ground invasion. Israel says there are 210 known hostages from many countries taken on October 7, when Hamas broke through the border fence into Israel in an attack that killed more than 1,400 Israelis. In retaliation, Israel has been bombing Gaza for two weeks. The death toll from the airstrikes has risen to more than 4,500, the Hamas-run Ministry of Health in Gaza said on Sunday. Now, over the weekend, an American mother and her 19-year-old daughter from Chicago were set free through the mediation of Qatar. The US is pushing the wealthy Gulf state, which hosts some political leaders of Hamas, to do much more. Sean, hasn't this been incredible? The last three weeks, the devastation has been amazing. Yeah, I mean, the numbers, 4,500 people killed in airstrikes from Israel, so 4,500 people in Gaza, the 1,400 people that were killed when Hamas attacked Israel, uh, frightening. Absolutely frightening. Sean, Chinese authorities are again shaking the confidence of foreign companies in the country with a series of arrests and an investigation into Foxconn Technology Group. Now, Foxconn's one of Apple's major partners. It's one of the largest employers in China. Over the weekend, state media said that regulators are conducting tax audits and reviewing land use by Foxconn. According to Bloomberg, 
not a good sign. Foxconn is a Taiwanese company that makes the vast majority of iPhones at factories in China. Foxconn's share price tumbled yesterday. Now, it said it's cooperating with authorities. What market watchers are worried about is that it will dissuade other foreign companies from going to China if Chinese authorities get too involved in business. Sean, up next is the Fear and Greed daily interview with Paul Garner. He's the co-founder and COO of Australian cloud security platform, Plerion. Yes, all about cybersecurity and what you need to do when you're working in the cloud. So it's a great chat. Now, Adam, I mean, obviously you'll be listening to that chat, but don't you reckon this report has had pretty much everything? Lots of fear, lots of greed, would you agree? Oh, it has. It's Some of it's so devastating and some of it just plain spectacular. And in amongst that, you know, I'm still left with a Guzmany Gomez story looking for around <laughs> $1.6 I was going, wow, in amongst oh. all of that, I'm just picking yeah. a bit of a greed story, I think, as my uh, closer ah. for the day. You like that one? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that number actually came from a report late last year, or probably 12 months ago now. So, it's a bit unclear. The market hasn't moved much, so maybe that's a fair reflection of what it is. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of money for a fast food chain. Haven't they done well, though, to build that yeah, from nothing? Have. Great story. Yeah, true. Up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your favourite podcast platform will be the interview with Paul Garner, the co-founder and COO of Plerion. And you can also hear that at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Adam. It's Tuesday, the 24th of October. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, X and Facebook. Have a great day.